Open your Bibles to the book of Joshua in chapter number 2. Joshua chapter number 2. I want to read familiar passage, familiar story. Joshua chapter number 2. That's a little bit lengthy. You all right? It is only 66 degrees out there. You should be in a good mood. <laughs> Beautiful day. My stars. Get you, don't get used to it. You got about a day of that. Mm. Joshua 2. Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out to Shittim two men to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, even Jericho. And they went and came into a harlot's house named Rahab, and lodged there, and was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, there came men in hither tonight of the children of Israel to search out the country. The king of Jericho sent unto Rahab, saying, Bring forth the men that are come to thee, which are entered into thine house, for they be come to search out all the country. The women took the two men and hid them and said thus, there came men unto me, but I wist not whence they were. And it came to pass about the time of shutting of the gate, when it was dark, that the men went out. Whether the men went, I wot not. Pursue after them quickly, for ye shall overtake them. But she had brought them up into the roof of the house, and hid them with stalks of flax, which she had laid in order upon the roof. The men pursued after them the way of Jordan under the fords, and as soon as they which pursued after them were gone out, they shut the gate. And before they were laid down, she came up unto them upon the roof, and she said unto the men, notice what she says, I know that the Lord hath given you the land, and that your terror has fallen upon us, and that the inhabitants of the land faint because of you, we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what ye did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side, Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. As soon as we heard these things, our hearts did melt, neither did there remain any more courage in any of our men because of you, for the Lord your God. He is a God in heaven above and in earth beneath. Now, therefore, I pray you swear unto me by the Lord, since I have showed you kindness, that ye will also show me kindness unto my father's house and give me a true token that ye, that, uh, ye will save alive my father and my mother and my brethren and my sisters and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. The men answered her, our life for yours. If ye utter not this, our business it shall be when the Lord hath given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with thee. And she let them down by a cord through the window, for her house was upon the town wall, and she dwelt upon the wall. She said unto them, Get you to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you. Hide yourselves there three days until the pursuers be returned, and afterward may ye go your way. And the men said unto her, We will be blameless of this thine oath which thou hast made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, thou shalt bind this line of scarlet thread in the window which thou didst let us down by, and thou shalt bring thy father, thy mother, thy brethren, and all thy father's household home 
unto thee. And it shall be that whosoever shall go out of the doors of thy house unto the street, his blood shall be upon his head. We will be guiltless. And whosoever shall be with thee in the house, his blood shall be in our head. If any hand be upon him. And if thou utter this our business, then we will be quit thine oath which thou hast made us swear. And she said, according unto your word, so be it. She sent them away. They departed. And she bound the scarlet line in the window. Can I talk to you this morning about Rahab? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your love for us. Would you use the preaching, the music, everything today to speak to hearts? Right here in this room are some who have made some, uh, some mistakes. Some, they've sinned. They've gotten away from you. They've broken your law. Right here are some believers who, who've done some things they regret. All of us are going to learn, can learn a lesson from Rahab and how you used her. So I pray we'd have listening ears. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. So, uh, what did you do you wish you hadn't done? Got a list? I mean, um, was there ever a day that you said, I just should, should have, as I used to say, stood in bed? If I just stayed in bed all day, none of this would have happened. Anybody or is it just me? Just a handful of you? Liars. I was just thinking, I was just in my mind going down a list of just some of the boneheadest things that I've done personally. I don't know if I want to tell you. I was in the third grade when I brought a empty popcorn bag full of grasshoppers <laughs> back from recess and put it in my desk. Uh, for some reason, this was a good idea. I learned something that day. One, popcorn bag, when you roll it up, don't stay rolled up. And two, after you open your desk, after said popcorn bag unrolls, grasshoppers jump everywhere. I locked my sister's car when it was sitting there running. Her brand spanking new 1973 Maverick Grabber. Most of you poor people have no idea what that is. And it sat there running, and my friend said, I dare you to lock it. <laughs> and I did. <laughs> you didn't have a beeper or a clicker in those days. You had er and er, and it sat there running, and she looked in, and it was the keys were in it, and it was running, and boy, was I in trouble. That's just the first two on my list. I got a list that involves cars and accidents and hospital visits, dumb things that could go on and on, and I know you have been there. Have you ever done something that was so bad, so memorable, that people reminded you of it long after it had happened, and perhaps even attached a nickname to you as a result 
of the thing that you did. Rahab. The story of Rahab, I mean, it's obviously so much bigger than the story of this harlot who saved herself and her family from judgment, isn't it? It's a story of God's love and grace to all. And, it, and secondly, it's a story of how sometimes, in fact, often, God chooses the most unlikely to do great things. What a great story. Notice this first about Rahab, the obvious. Rahab had some sin. Everyone knows everything you need to know about Rahab right in the very beginning of the story. Her name tag says it all, doesn't it? Whenever we say her name, do we not attach the description of her occupation? Rahab, the harlot. But before you think, well, she was walking around with shame and her head hung down because of what she did for a living. You keep in mind this, the culture, the Canaanite culture, uh, the degenerate idol worshiping Canaanite people, her job was probably not something that caused shame to her. People didn't consider her lifestyle necessarily wicked. The Canaanites were wicked people. They were idol worshiping, they were degenerate, and they had no knowledge of Jehovah God, and so they just lived their lives as they, see, as they saw fit. So probably Rahab's position in the community wasn't down at the bottom since her uh, occupation was a harlot. In fact, she was probably no different than anyone else because of her occupation. But you and I both know that she was a sinner. She was definitely a sinner. But let's stop and be honest. Was she more of a sinner than you were before you came to Christ? Was she somehow worse than you were before you came to Jesus? As I speak, the county jail is packed to overflowing with men and women who, who have sinned and some of them over and over again. Are their sins worse than mine? If unforgiven and they die and they go to hell, would their hell be hotter than the hell I was on my way to? No. And all over our city there's drug users and there's abusers and murderers and rapists. And for some reason, we look at all the sinners around us and the sins that they commit on the scale that we have invented in our minds. And we look at them and all their sins are black. And I look at me and all my sins are just kind of off white. We're good. Put on my suit this morning. I tied my bow tie. Aren't you jealous? Because you can't tie a bow tie. And I put on a clean shirt. And all of us got in here and we looked our best. And right in this room, our hearts full of bitterness and anger and jealousy and secret sins of the mind and of the heart. 
but we look so good on the outside. The Bible says before you were saved, you were dead in trespasses and sins. Dead. So you're driving down the road and you see a dead skunk. Or smell a dead skunk. There's no worse smell. And the first dead skunk you come upon is, well, he's been squashed. Man, he's obviously expired a long time ago. And he's flat as a pancake and pretty bad looking. And when you come up on him, the birds are picking at him and they fly off when you and then they come back. And you drive a little ways down the road again. And there's another dead skunk, but he doesn't look so bad. He's only recently met his demise. I have a question. Which one is most dead? There's no such thing as one being more dead than another. (laughs) Did you know that your sin, as nice as you want it to look, demanded the shedding of blood? Just like the sins of those at the county jail today. And my sin and your sin, unforgiven, unforgiven, will send us to hell just as fast as theirs will. And my sin would have sent Jesus to the cross if I'd been the only person to live. And I sin differently for sure than the people perhaps at the county jail or the homeless that are here in our community. And I sin differently than them. And I sin differently than the headlines you're going to read about today of those who have done some of the most heinous crimes in our culture, and our community. I may sin differently, but my sin still required the blood of Jesus. I think Rahab, as you read the story, you got the idea. She knew she was a sinner. When she heard of Jehovah and how Jehovah was leading the Jews, she understood her standing with God. And you can imagine where she was and the culture and the place she's living there in Jericho, these Canaanites and the worship that they may have may have taken place to these false gods that they worshiped and her visits to the idol temple did not bring any satisfaction to her soul. And they still all this false worship and idol worship left her empty inside. And although her lifestyle, even though it was probably accepted by the culture, did nothing to fill this void that she had in her heart and in her soul. You ever, when you read or you hear about some unsaved person and, and the, the links that they will go to to fill the, the void in their life, doesn't it confuse you sometimes? And you, have you ever watched a, <coughs> a missionary video and Maybe in a in a 1040 window uh, country in particular, and and you see all the pagan worship and all the things that they go through and how they abuse their own bodies to somehow get God who uh, this false God to give them some kind of attention. And don't you watch that sometimes? And you just say to your you say in your mind, why would people go through all that? Why would they do that to themselves? And why do they worship those false idols? And why do they do this? And and why do they go seek out these pleasures trying to fill a void? And that's all people are trying to do around the world is fill an emptiness that only God can really fill. 
She knew she's a sinner. Evidently, she knew she couldn't save herself. She even mentioned, didn't she, the Red Sea crossing. And if you'll look at it and you'll look at the timeline, the Red Sea crossing happened probably before she was even born. But those victories that she had heard about how and how God had given them victories over their enemies on the other side and how God had given him those victories, it caused her and her people to fear. And she lived in this wall. And of course, the walls of Jericho are famous. She lived in these walls that were probably 30 feet high and they were they were not vulnerable to any attacks because of these walls. But yet it seems by reading what she said, she knew that even these as strong as these walls were, the judgment that was coming was stronger than any man-made wall. And isn't it like men, isn't it like us humans to build walls we think are stronger than God. Man always is building walls he thinks will keep God out. And so the intellectual man, he builds walls of atheism and intellectualism and relativism and humanism. And he builds these great walls and he gives them fancy names and uses all kinds of scientific language. Thinking God isn't even big enough to bring down these walls. We got walls of false doctrine and false gods and, and false religion that comes from man's imaginations and all these false walls. Can I tell you that God is bigger and God is stronger of any of man's walls, regardless of how big and strong they may appear? And not only is God bigger and stronger than those walls, if you're sitting here this morning, you're thinking of your own sin and perhaps your own problems. Can I tell you that God is bigger than your sin? And God is bigger than your problems in your own world. And God is bigger than the problems in our country and bigger than the problems in our world. And maybe all of us could take a little lesson from Rahab who lived in the walls and understood how strong they were and how impervious to enemy they were, but knew that God was bigger. And you may be facing some wall and might be fear. Can I tell you, God is bigger. It might be doubt. Can I tell you, God is bigger. It might be some pain. God is bigger. It might be some addiction. God is bigger. It might be some sin. God is bigger. It might be lust. God is bigger. Can I tell you, our God is bigger. His love is bigger. His grace is bigger. His strength is bigger. God is bigger than any wall that you or anybody else might build. Rahab evidently understood that. Not only that, she realized that salvation, if it was going to come, it was going to have to come from outside. You ever thought about how these two spies, and, and it's obvious God works this way. These two spies who just were given this job to go into Jericho and, and kind of search it out and figure out what's going on, that immediately they made their, their way to this woman's home, to Rahab. 
Was it just some coincidence that the first person that they meet as they enter Jericho is just this woman, Rahab? Or maybe here's a, here's a possibility. God re- reveals himself to mankind. In other words, nature. Nature points to a creator. And if you have a brain <laughs> and you can go outside and you can look around at our universe and just our creation, just the physical earth, and, and not in your heart understand that there was a creator, something wrong in your head. Because nature points to God. The Bible says that light, a certain amount of light is given to all. And to those that respond to the light that they've been given, God sees fit that more light is given. And so here's Rahab. And she's heard this talk of these Jews and how that God has delivered them from Egypt. And she responded to that little bit of knowledge that she had with this belief, it says in verse number 11. The little bit of knowledge that she had, she responded with this belief. Your God is the God of heaven above and earth beneath. And God saw fit to bring more light to Rahab. Here come these two spies. God is, he is, can I put it this way? He's still in the business of saving the lost. Can you imagine this at the time Rahab was the only believer in the entire city The only believer was Rahab. And when you read in the New Testament, you find that her story and her faith is mentioned twice in the New Testament. I'm wondering if right here at Southwest Baptist Church and the ministries of Southwest Baptist Church, we wouldn't find among us some who have had a similar experience to Rahab. Can you imagine that there's this morning a six-year-old girl who got herself out of the bed this morning because the bus was going to be coming by any minute and she wasn't going to miss it. She looked out the window and waited. Finally, that bus finally showed up, late probably. Man, she was excited. She ran out and got on the bus. And she got to go to Sunday school and sing the songs this morning and listen to a Bible story. Had a great time. Maybe ate some goldfish. Wouldn't be church without goldfish. And she rode, going to ride the bus home and have a big time. But at home, she's the only one. She's the only one who loves God. And it could be she might be even neglected or we might even use the word abused. Well, surely, Brother Ted, God uses people who have been raised in Christian homes and who nothing, who know nothing of that kind of life and, 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 and the life that many, many face like her every day, 
certainly God picks to use those who have a, a, a godly parentage and who have the right clothes and who, who know all the words to the songs in the hymnal because doesn't, isn't that who God uses? And I would say, yes, God, he does use those who have had the privilege of being raised in a godly home and have never seen their daddy drunk and have never had the police come to their house to break up a fight. God uses those people. But you know who else God uses? He uses those like Rahab. Those who believe in him when all the odds are against them. If you look across the street any given day and you see all those colorful buses, why do we keep doing that? Why do we keep running them buses when gas is so high? Why do we keep having Sunday schools and junior churches and, and programs where kids can come and hear about Jesus. It's because God doesn't just use us perfect people. God uses, he uses Rahab. He uses those little bus kids. He uses those who, whose parents aren't in church. He uses those who don't have necessarily the right clothes and don't know all the words to the song. He doesn't just save us. He saves them. And he takes them from death to life. And he uses them in his service. And right now there are, even in this room, some former bus kids who are preachers and missionaries and servants of God and teachers and Sunday school teachers and bus workers and faithful members who give and who pray and who work. And if God can reach down and touch the life of a harlot named Rahab living in an ungodly culture and use her to do something amazing, well, then there's hope for all of us. And sometimes we think that God's only going to use a select few, only those with the pedigree, only those who have lived their life without scars and without a past. But Rahab proves that God will use anyone who will be used. Rahab, she put her faith in God. Which really brings us to this point. Isn't it kind of amazing as you read what Rahab said there? In verse number 11. Isn't it kind of amazing you read her faith as she worded it in verse number 11. And she only knew God through these vague stories that she heard. Because think about it. She didn't have a book to read. She had no inspired book to read. She, she had no belief that had been passed down from her parents. She didn't have that. She had no prophet who had preached in, to her people in the name of God. She didn't even have a Jonah. She didn't have an Elijah. She had nothing but these odds and ends that she had picked up on the streets of Jericho. And at the end, what she heard was enough to make her believe and understand there's only one true God. And all these idols that my people are worshiping for generations aren't going to deliver me from the judgment that's to come. All from a couple of stories that she heard here and there about what God had done. 
And I'm telling you, I'm convicted. Because how many times, knowing what I know, my faith is so small. Why is it hard for me to trust in God when I have so much more information than she had? I mean, I have a Bible that from cover to cover is God's inspired word. And just the testimony of the characters in the Bible and throughout history show how God can be trusted. And I have seen his faithfulness in the lives of others and in my own life. And I have seen that the promise he makes, he always keeps, he never fails. And I have, I have seen him come through time and time again, not in my own, just in my own life, but in the lives of you and the people I know. It should be no problem for us in this room to have great faith. I'd just be glad to have her faith. Because her faith made her do something. Say, well, yeah, she lied. God didn't tell her to lie. But she did hide those spies. And it was dangerous. I'm sure that would have cost her her life had she been caught. But she let her faith guide her. Listen to what, how James said it. Likewise, also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Think of James as he's writing under inspiration and wants to give a great example of the difference between faith without works and faith with works. And he uses Rahab as his example. Not only that. Evidently, he t she told her family. If you look in chapter number six, you see that Rahab, her father, her mother, her entire family came safely from Jericho as the walls fell. She was able to do what another famous Bible character was unable to do. Lot. Lot faced the judgment of God in the community and the culture he lived, didn't he? Everything was going to come down. You better get out, Lot. God's judgment is coming. And he tried to convince his family. They wouldn't listen. They laughed. He dragged his wife and two daughters. His wife didn't make it. What was the difference? I think maybe this. As Rahab's family observed her, they saw a difference. As Lot's family observed him, they didn't see a difference. Her faith led her to have a life that was different. And the salvation of her family hinged upon her faith. And then, of course, probably the most famous part of her story is this thread that she let down. Her faith was tied to that, wasn't it? Because all she had was the word of these two men that she had just met. And her faith in God that this thread is going to save her family. The Bible says without faith it is impossible to please God. Without faith. Have you ever had, wondered how much faith then? Without faith it's impossible to please God, Brother Ted. I don't know if I got that much faith. Well, do you have a thread? Because God's pleased. Was pleased with Rahab. Rahab also left us some important things, things we still talk about. 
Did you know Rahab is in the lineage of Christ? Rahab's name appears in Matthew chapter number 1 and verse number 5. Salmon, Salmon beget Boaz, Boaz of Rahab. Boy, you talk about the grace of God. He loves, God does, Jesus does. He loves to call to himself the low ones, the ones who are considered vile. In his, in his lineage are listed incestuous Tamar, the harlot Rahab, idolatrous Ruth, adulterous Bathsheba, Jesus, the friend of sinners, took Rahab from literally the gutter to being eternally famous. Chapter number 11, you know the hall of faith. Some of the greatest of the Bible are listed in Hebrews chapter number 11. Look in chapter number 11, you'll read names like Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and Gideon and David and Samson. I mean, the biggest names of the Bible are in Hebrews chapter number 11. Listen to what it says in, in verse number 33. Who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Others had trial of cruel mockings and scourging, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. And among these names and these great deeds of people of the past, two names stand out because two are of women. Sarah, of course, I mean, the wife of Abraham, the mother of Isaac, you would expect a name like Sarah to appear. <laughs> the other of all the women in the whole history of the world that God could have picked to put in his hall of faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 31. By faith, the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believe not when she had received the spies with peace. Wow. Then there's this. There's this red thread. This scarlet thread. The scarlet thread in this story was to Rahab and her family what the blood on the doorposts had been to the Hebrews in Egypt. The way of salvation is always the same. It's the shed blood of the lamb. And the scarlet thread runs literally in the whole Bible from, Revelation, from Genesis to Revelation. And when the first hint we're given that there's going to be a scarlet thread is in the very Garden of Eden when God, when God clothed Adam and Eve with animal skins. He protected them from his wrath. We're first... Blood is first shed. 
And this scarlet thread can be seen by Abel and the more acceptable offering that he gave to God because Cain thought that he could come to God in the merit of his own work and his own deeds. And Abel knew the shedding of blood. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. The scarlet thread. And everywhere in the Levitical law, we, the emphasis is on the shedding of blood. And we see the scarlet thread in the, all those offerings, the major offerings in the, free, in the feast days and in the, the day of atonement and in the dedication of the temple. And all throughout the Old Testament era, the rivers literally of blood that flowed from the altars of Israel all remind us of that scarlet thread. And finally, we come to Calvary. And we understand the significance of all of it. Because we see Jesus and he takes the cup, the Bible says, and this is the new covenant in my blood. For as much as you know, you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ. And from cover to cover, the Old Testament's Saints were saved by faith, looking forward in their sacrifices and offerings to the shed blood of Christ on Calvary's cross, and were saved by that same faith, looking back at the shed blood of Calvary. No scarlet thread, no salvation. No blood on the doorposts, no salvation. No scarlet thread bound by faith to our hearts, no salvation. What a legacy. What a legacy that Rahab left us. And think of that. We're still talking about her faith to this day. We're still amazed that we can read her name. In the lineage of the very Son of God, her name is there. We're still amazed that we would see her name in his lineage. It's, it, it's amazing that we would see in Hebrews chapter 11, in this hall of faith and the high honor given to those men whose names are mentioned. And we see in amongst that Rahab. Who can God save? Will he really save anyone who puts their faith and their trust in him. What about those who've really sinned, Brother Ted? What about those, you know, the really bad ones? Yep, even Baptists. He'll save them. And atheists. And good people. And bad people. No one is so low he can't reach him. Isaiah 59, I behold the Lord hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. Aren't you glad it's not a person's parentage or pedigree or their past, bad or good, that puts them in a position not just to be saved, but to be used by God because God can and does use anyone who will act on faith in him. God will even use you if you'll let him. Well, but I don't have much faith. Well, the New Testament talks about faith the size of a grain of mustard, mustard seed. The Old Testament talks about a thread. 
My faith is weak. Well, you can do what Rahab did and take what little faith you have and tie it to him and find that God has yet to let down a single person who trusted in him. And you might be sitting in this room and you might think your sin is so big. It's so big, Brother Ted, that even God can't forgive. Oh, you're so mistaken. In fact, you're the one he can't wait to forgive. But Brother Ted, here's what I've done. And I've messed up so bad that even my name reminds me of it. And people know about it and they... And, and, and they remind me of it. And, and my past is right in front of my face all the time. And all the bad things I've done. Can I tell you? God, the walls aren't so big that God can't tear them down. But I can't be used like so and so. Because the way I grew up or the things I've done. I can't be used like that person. Boy, if I could only be used like them. You're forgetting about Rahab. You're forgetting about how God used her and then mentioned her twice more in the New Testament. What a, what a testimony that God would take the lowest of the low and then turn around decades, centuries later and talk about her great faith. If you're a sinner this morning without Christ, if you don't know him as your Savior, there's never been a time you've trusted in him Maybe this morning he's convicting your heart of your need of salvation. We're going to have a time of invitation. There'll be men and ladies. Be glad to take a Bible and show you exactly what the Bible says, how you can know Christ, how you can know the forgiveness of sins, how you can know that heaven will be your home. And if you're here this morning even wondering, can God use me? Can God use people like me? People who haven't had a perfect home or haven't been perfect and don't know all the words to all the hymns in the hymnal. Listen in chapter number 6, starting in verse number 20. So the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets. And it came to pass when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted with a great shout. The wall fell down flat. So that the people went up in the city, every man straight before him. They took the city. And they utterly, utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, and ox and sheep and ass with the edge of the sword. But Joshua had said unto the two men that had spied out the country, go into the harlot's house. Bring out thence the woman, all that she hath, as ye swear unto her. And the young men that were spies went in, brought out Rahab and her father, her mother, her brethren, all that she had, and brought them out to her kindred and left them without the camp of Israel. And they burnt the city with fire and all that was therein, only the silver and the gold and the vessels of brass and iron put in the treasury of the house of the Lord. And Joshua saved Rahab, the harlot alive, and her father's household all that she had. And she dwelleth in Israel even unto this day. Because she hid the messengers which Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. God can use you. Not only will he save you, 
he'll use you. Would you bow with me? I want to have a time of invitation. Before I do that, I would just ask a question. How many would say, Brother Ted, I don't know that I'm saved. I don't know that I'm on my way to heaven. I don't know that my sins are forgiven. I know I'm a sinner. I know I've done things I shouldn't have done. I've, break, I've broken God's law. But I don't know that I'm saved. I have no peace in my heart, no confidence that if I, today was my last day that heaven would be my home. But I'm concerned about it. Would you pray for me? If you'll lift your hand, I'll pray for you here in just a second. I want to know who to pray for. Is there any? Pray for me, Brother Ted. I don't know that I'm saved, but I'm concerned enough. I'm just concerned enough to raise my hand so I know who to pray for. There might be right in this room some who are wondering, can God really use somebody like me? Can God really use somebody with my past, the mistakes I've made, things I've done? I'm here to tell you, not only can he, but he will. And he has, and he's proven it time and again. Rahab's a great example of that. Maybe God's spoken to you in some way. And maybe you've been hesitant to, to just step out and say, I want to be used of God. Or maybe you've been hesitant to say, I want to get involved in some ministry because of who you are or your past. God wants to use you. And he will use you. He can use you right here in this church. Heavenly Father, I'm thankful. I'm thankful you speak to hearts. There may be some who have heard this message who don't know for sure that heaven's their home. I pray that they wouldn't leave this place with doubt and confusion and wondering. But they would come as we have a time of invitation. Let us take a Bible. Show them exactly how they can place their faith in Christ. And others who you may want to use, but they've been hesitant and, and uh, not sure that it's, they can be used and are confused or scared, dealing with doubt, fear, pain of their past. Lord, I pray that you're speaking to their heart. Just how much you love them and can use them in your service. He uses all of us, any who's willing to be used. However you've spoken to hearts, I pray that during our time of invitation, you'd have your will and your way done. In Jesus' name.